So it's January 25th, 2020. There's a rare moment where there's not either construction workers outside my window or dogs barking. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, I always let weeks go by uh, in between podcasts here. But I'm not going to dwell too much on uh, the cancer situation, which has been the focus for the last few episodes. I feel fine, and the honest truth is, had I not gotten uh, the blood work done and found out that I have leukemia, I wouldn't know it. I mean, I don't have symptoms. I feel as good and healthy and energetic as I always have. It's just um, just the knowledge that it's that it's there, and it's something that someday, sometime, and nobody knows the time, uh, nobody knows the day that it's going to be a problem. I mean, that's, but I think I've done a pretty good job of dealing with that. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia, it's so variable in how it affects uh, and presents in different people um, that there's just no real way to know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. And um, in my case, the doctors need to wait a while to even get a, any kind of a prediction of how that's going to be. And, um, it's easy to just forget, completely forget that it's a thing now when I'm between doctor appointments and just, and just living my life, which is good. But you do know in the, in the, in the back of your mind, you know, my bone marrow is producing these cells that are replicating out of control and eventually it's going to crowd out stuff that I need and it's going to cause problems, but it's just not causing them now. So a slow-moving or slow-growing cancer, it's still moving, it's still growing. So down the road, something's going to happen. But my attitude now is just when things start to happen, just get it treated and hope for the best. And and I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with it now. I know, obviously, if I'm sick and struggling and I actually have symptoms, then, uh, then that's going to be difficult, but there's just no sense in letting that, you know, ruin my time now. So I've been just, just doing my thing, um, back at work. So over the Christmas holiday, you know, we hosted Christmas, my wife and I, we had family here. I also had that trip to Houston to MD Anderson, and it was pretty, pretty exhausting break, but also nice. But then it was just right back to work. And so um, I'm back into the thick of things at the uh, elementary school, and it's uh, it. I just was telling my wife last night. It just it dawns on me on a regular basis just how fortunate I am to have stumbled onto this job. I think if I won the lottery, I would still want to do it. I'm so attached to the kids, and when I'm there. It, it just never dawns on me that I'm I'm getting paid and that that's part of the reason I'm there. Um, when you're presented with kids that have various issues and and um, you just you don't think of these things. It just feels so natural to respond to the needs of the kids that um, I don't know. It's just a, it's such a perfect fit for my personality, and so I'm I'm excited to. Uh, 
have kind of fallen into this. I was actually interviewed by the, a local news station, which was weird. A news story came out uh, that New Mexico was like the worst state in the country, in the entire United States for child poverty. That's made the news. And then um, the news channel contacted the district and the district sort of, they just wanted to, what's the representative school that would show um, high poverty in your district? And our school is in a, a real high poverty neighborhood and we have super high needs. So they came to interview myself and uh, some other staff about um, about this story about how New Mexico is so highly impoverished and how it affects our kids and what we do about it. The weird thing is, is at least I did, and I don't think any of the other staff did, we didn't know that was the subject of the interview. We were told by somebody in the district that it was, uh, we were just going to be interviewed about our awesome school and all the stuff we do. And so I was prepared to just talk about all the positive programs we have and what we're doing. And when we sat down for the interview, it took about 30 seconds before I realized what was happening. I mean, first they, they did tell us right before the cameras rolled what the actual uh, topic of the story was going to be. And that sort of threw me because I didn't really have any time to, to prepare for it. And then just the way they were asking questions, they wanted to know all the horror stories that we could tell about the most needy kids and the worst um, examples of poverty and things like that. And as they were asking the questions, my coworker and I, we, we kept sort of then trying to turn it to more positive things. And I just realized by the end of the interview, I said, well, they're just going to edit this to fit whatever story they wanted to tell from the get-go. And that's exactly what happened. So we went home and I watched uh, I watched the story on the news and they just cut out every bit of positive spin we had and they've just framed it like we were the, you know, the poster school for high poverty and look at these poor kids and what are we doing for these poor kids? And I was worried that some parents would uh, see it on the news and get really angry that the emphasis was on just how terrible things were. And I thought maybe the parents would think it was a reflection on, on them, but, um, it seemed to blow, blow over relatively. And then, um, yeah. And so then this week, I mean, this week was a busy week. Just, um, again, just to give an idea off the top of my head, we had a, a kindergartner that, uh, told her parents that, uh, a babysitter's son had sexually assaulted her and the parents came to me and it ended up being this whole, um, report to child protective services and, um, and, uh, later in the week I had four, um, fifth grade girls that were involved in, uh, cutting like self-harm behaviors and this is just, you know, just in the span of a couple days at one elementary school, it just, um, yeah, it's amazing how not unusual a, a week like this is. Um, I mean, it's not every week you have these type of uh, incidents happen, but 
that's uh, it's definitely part of my job to be ready to respond in the best way I know how when situations like this come up. And um, yeah, with the cutting thing, it just it, it, it's it's fascinating because I, I talk to the kids and I, I ask them all, how do you even know what this is? You know, when I was in fifth grade, I certainly had never heard of such a thing. Um, but the kids, they all, you know, told me that it's just, you know, of course we know what it is just from movies and TV and, and social media and things like that. So it's, uh, it's just a different world. You have kids that are tuned in, uh, to media that is so different than it was when I was a kid when it was just broadcast television and of course your parents would have some idea of what that was because they were watching the same channels and um now instead of you know the three network channels and then that you know that moved to cable television at some point while I was a kid but it's still you know there was 20 30 channels if you had cable now there's just an infinite number of channels and the kids are tuned into them and the parents cannot keep track or don't keep track or aren't able to keep track. And these kids are accessing this, um, these infinite channels of media at an earlier and earlier age without supervision. And they're surprisingly good at uh, being sneaky, you know, and making sure their parents don't know what they're doing. One of the, the things that, probably distinguishes me from most counselors. I, I, I do have a way where I, I allow kids to really speak freely. I want them to to really be honest about what's going on. And I have a way of making them comfortable doing so. So, I mean, if I have a kid and uh, say it's a fourth or fifth grader and they're dropping the F-bomb left and right, I I don't, I just don't react in such a way. They know that I I don't really care that they're swearing in that context. Um, and then they feel free to sort of open up. And I'm always asking questions when it comes to social media and different things that as I get older, I'm, I'm losing more and more touch, you know, with the, the younger generation. And uh, so, you know, I'm 49 and I'm, I'm having conversations with the absolute youngest kids. You know, we're talking about six-year-olds even. And I do feel more and more disconnected and lost from kind of what makes kids tick and what they're into. And so the way for me to, to stay abreast of everything is I'm always asking questions about this and that video game and this and that social media network and trying to figure out what their sense of humor is based on. And it's pretty fascinating um, how sophisticated even young kids are. Uh, yesterday I had some third graders in my office eating lunch and it was just a social thing. They just were eating lunch and goofing around and having fun. And again, I, I sort of let them do whatever they want to do as long as everything is safe. You know, they're just goofing around and being silly. And, uh, and they're, again, they're sort of letting me know, even though I'm an adult, various things that they might not let an adult know. For instance, these were third graders. They all produced cell phones that they were concealing in their little purses and you're not supposed to have cell phones and um and 
they were talking about how they, you know, sneak them and do this and that. And the teachers doesn't, don't know. And, um, and I was asking them questions about social media. It, TikTok was the social media platform. And they were describing to me all these things that they, they spend hours and hours watching all the time. And, and it was definitely not school appropriate. I mean, the kids, maybe it's always been this way. The songs they listen to, there's always, um, they're just adult themes and, but they're little kids singing it. I suppose this was always the way it's been with pop music and stuff. But, um, and I asked them, you know, Hey, you know, do your parents have any idea this and that? And they're like, no way. My, my mom doesn't even know what, you know, TikTok is or Snapchat is. And so it's just an interesting world where kids are, uh, are tuned into a reality and living lives that their parents and their teachers and most adults are just not a part of. And there's a, a serious drawbacks. And I saw that this week with, um, cutting behaviors and just different precocious things. And obviously pornography is another big worry. Um, I can't remember exactly how old I was, 12, something like that, where my buddy and I got into some magazines that somebody had or we found, and it just seems so innocuous now. And you have kids younger and younger with this unsupervised access to the internet and what they can access is more and more intense and inappropriate for their stage of development. So I mentioned earlier the potential sexual abuse situation with a real young uh, kindergartner and the alleged perpetrator is a, a child himself, just a middle school student. And one of the, the wrinkles in, in the story was that there was a tablet that had uh, pornographic searches on it that were likely from this boy who's, you know, like I said, sixth grade. I'm not sure how old that is, 12 maybe. And of course, that's right around the time that I'm talking about where my friend and I were hiding under our front porch and we had this uh, folded up Playboy magazines and in a sandwich bag or something and we buried it under the ground and we'd <laughs> literally crawl under the porch moving these little wooden railing things, get under there with all the spiders and stuff. And that was the place where we would unearth these things and look at them. And, uh, and again, we're talking about just the most relatively innocuous thing, just a, just girls with no clothes on, you know, nothing else. Um, and nowadays the, the equivalent of that is, is just, uh, your friend letting you know about a certain website or a certain video and, you know, Snapchatting it over to you or WhatsApping the link to you or showing you where it is and you all can just anywhere, any place get access to these, inc- you know, super disturbing adult stuff that you couldn't possibly understand as a kid. And, of course, these kids know how to delete their histories or hide them from their parents. And so it's it's... It's fascinating, disturbing. I'm not really sure where it's all going, but um, anyway, so I'm back at work and, and it's, it's just, it never ceases to be interesting to me. And just obviously, the, you know, some of those things are difficult to, um, 
to behold, you know, young children potentially being abused and things like that. I mean, it's difficult, but I, I, I like being in charge. I like being the one in the building who's in charge of what to do in those situations. Cause I feel like I, I know what to do as well as anybody. And I do a good job handling it and I want to be the one to handle it. Whereas at previous jobs, I'd be you know all too eager to defer uh, those difficult things to other people. Um, but because I know sometimes other people will handle those things in ways that, you know, I maybe don't agree with, or I would think, well, it could have been handled this way. I prefer to be the one to be handling those things. And so even the difficult things are things that I, I'm really engaged in, but for the most part, I'm, I'm just having fun. I mean, I'm out there on the playground and and being there for the kids and as difficult situations come up, I just respond in the moment and there's never a dull moment. So, um, I'm glad that I'm able to still do this job. I really worried with the, the initial cancer diagnosis that, um, how is this going to affect my work? Not, you know, not only if I'm potentially sick or missing work for appointments, but just psychologically, am I going to be so distracted that I'm not focused on the kids? And that probably happened for a brief period of time, but, uh, I'm feeling much better about it now. Um, I don't have any music that I'm prepared to share at this point. It's funny. I was, um, on the phone with my mom and a couple of my nephews were, uh, at her house just to, to take grandma out to brunch or something. And and my mom, she's one of the few people I've ever shared um, my demos and things with because I just know that uh, it would just make her happy. And so over the years, even super unpolished things, whatever I thought she might enjoy, I've sent her way. But I don't like in general to um, just share uh, what I'm doing in that way with family members. Uh, there's always a sense of just in the little culture of my family and anything that you do can definitely be used against you to bust your balls. And I think early on when I was uh, blogging back in 2006, 2007, um, some family members found out about it. And, um, you know, I'm just living in a completely different universe at that point, having left my hometown and never returned, you know, since the age of my early twenties and just living a sort of a different life. And then you start expressing yourself without censorship. And you're really just, you know, sharing your creativity with your new, your new friends and your new world that have stuff in common with you. But then it kind of gets back, uh, to your family of origin and there's there's this mismatch and so early on i experienced the awkwardness of family members asking me questions about different weird shit i was writing in my blog or weird from the perspective of my old life so yeah it's it's kind of embarrassing to, to even think that uh my nephew or brothers or cousins are tapping into what i'm doing at this website whether it's music or what i'm saying right now um, but I think at this point in my life, I'm just like, fuck it. I mean, there's, it's out there and there's no real way now since I have shared it with my mom, it's going to get out there. 
and for the most part, no one's interested anyway, which is good. But if a few people get do get interested enough to listen to my music or see what, see what I'm up to, they're either going to find it weird or they're going to mock me when I get home and I, I have a thick enough skin now to deal with that. Or they might even just be interested in it, which would be fine. But I'm still, I'm still somewhat hesitant to uh, express myself um, without some degree of censorship and dishonesty. So, you know, even with the music, you know, I could share some demos I've been fooling around with. I'm always messing around with my recording equipment. And there's actually a few things that are just little riff ideas and stuff that are, uh, are pretty cool. Um, but, you know, for some reason, I'm in this mode where I, I've, I've caught myself not sharing and not engaging in my creativity because I, I'm, I only want to share that which uh, supports whatever image I'm trying to project. And I always told myself I wasn't going to fall into that, but I, I've noticed that I really have been. Because what I do is I just simply don't, uh, I won't do a podcast for long periods of time. And of course, I'm living life in between. I could be um, expressing myself. I could be writing in my blog every day and doing podcasts more regularly. But I'm thinking, well, there's nothing interesting going on. But the truth is, it's just there's nothing that I think would portray me as interesting to others. That's the the sort of moment of self-honesty I'm reaching. Because if you just listen to the podcast episodes and just read the blog posts, I'm... It's like all people on the on the internet and on social media. You're sort of curating your life or your image in this false way, and presenting yourself as you know, as if I'm someone who just always is onto some deep thought or always writing some song or or responding to some fascinating podcast or some interesting thing I've read. When that's just not true. Ninety nine percent of the time, I'm just dicking around like everybody else and. Uh, I I don't want uh, anyone to see that. Uh, so it's weird. I, I sort of I I more admire people these days that just can express themselves without without filter. And so the other day I was looking at my YouTube uh, history, and it it was kind of shocking because again you think oh I'm you know, what I'm going to find is all these great Radiohead B-sides and these deep documentaries and interviews I've been watching, you know. But really, it's 99%, you know, Barcelona, those of you who aren't soccer fans, Barcelona is a, a team in Spain. Uh, Lionel Messi is like one of the best players in the world. That That's kind of my sport fix. I don't really pay that much attention to any sports anymore, but I love, I love me some Barcelona and there's just all these videos of just Barcelona news and um, just goofy cartoon, uh, you know, clips and just stupid shit that we all just get into these old rabbit holes, just anything to make me laugh or distract myself. That's the vast bulk of what I'm actually watching on YouTube. 
And I even find myself, you know, deleting things from my own history sometimes. And I'm thinking, well, who am I, who am I hiding this from? I'm the only one looking at it. Um, and is it, it, it just in case someone discovered my history, it's going to look like I'm a deeper dude than I actually am. So it's weird. So I'm, I'm trying to discourage that behavior in me, that weird sense, self censorship and uh, so it'd be better for me, I think, to just, if I'm interested in some stupid sports thing or some, uh, unpopular opinion or just something that seems dumb but amuses me, then it's just as worthy to, uh, to talk about that as anything else. So I don't really have any specifics in this moment, but, um, I don't want to make any, any grand proclamations that I'm going to podcast on a more regular basis because I never do. Some of it's a time thing. So I don't really have anything super deep to say. I just felt like uh, doing this and that's what the the only reason to do this. And really no one's listening or a couple people are listening and um, my main motivation for doing it is because I've mentioned this before. It's the same same motivation I have for writing where writing just helps galvanize and clarify my thinking just the act of writing it's like I'm finding out what I'm thinking in the process of writing it down and that's a lot of times really interesting where it carries my thinking forward whereas if I don't express myself shit's just spinning around I'm just it's just going around in circles and something about uh, writing or podcasting which is basically just the similar thing but it's just an audio form just expressing my ideas basically it uh it gets uh gets me out of these little circular things that have been going on in the back of my mind it just gets them either onto paper or onto onto the tape and it helps me get past them move them forward and i also want to get better at both of these uh both of these modes of expression i'm not going to get better at the solo podcast which is all I got it's not like I'm interviewing some awesome guest or something but um, I'll get better at it the more I do it and same as getting better at writing by doing it so thus I'm fine with the fact that uh, I've said basically nothing in the span of however long this has been and I'm still going to uh, release it even though uh, it's pretty lame and uh, no one probably gives a fuck or should so with that, I will let uh, you go, even if you is just me listening to this in five years and being embarrassed about it. And uh, I will check in again whenever the fuck I want to. Bye.